With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has room. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome in to the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Drift Car Sharing. I'm Henry Chisholm, and uh, here's a quick rundown of what we're going to talk about today. Um, of course, we have to talk about the Buffs basketball game last night, lost 79-76 to Northern Iowa at the CU Event Center in Boulder. Um, I was up there. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, we'll also talk a little bit more about Katie Nixon's decision to uh, go to the NFL. Uh, he had a press conference yesterday where he kind of broke down his thinking. And uh, we're going to start off, though, by talking about the new coach of the Colorado State Rams. Um, because that's the next football team that Colorado is going to play, is his version of the Colorado State Rams. Um, before we get into that, I do want to talk about drift car sharing just a little bit more um it's a great service if you're going to the airport there's no reason not to use it uh instead of paying for parking there and the parking can get expensive up to 30 dollars a day but if you use drift car sharing then you just drop your car off at their lot that's about five minutes away from the airport um jump in a shuttle it'll take you to the airport you get to park there for free and they'll try to rent your car out through their app and their website and if they do, then you get a share of the profits. And even if they don't, they'll still clean your car for you, which, I mean, they do a great job and that makes it worth a lot more than uh, just free parking. It's a great deal. Definitely need to check them out. You can go to drivedrift.com for more information. Um, but what we're here to talk about is football. And there's some big news out of uh, Colorado State today, and that is that Steve Adazio is going to be the next head coach. Um, if you're a Buffs fan, you got to feel pretty good about that. Uh, Steve Adazio has been at Boston College for quite a while, um, seven years maybe, something like that, and he's pretty consistently been moderately successful, I guess. He's been seven and five, I think, almost every year. Um, maybe throw a three-win season in there somewhere. Uh, Boston College has made it, I, th- I think, to five bowl games in his seven years. So, I mean, in the, in the ACC, that's 
some success, but uh, it's not really the flashy hire that you expected Colorado State to make given the situation that they're in. The new stadium, um, they're trying to drum up some hype, some excitement, and they really didn't do that by hiring a 60-year-old who, you know, he's he's kind of been figured out. Uh, his book has pretty much been written. Um, good football coach. A lot of people like him, respect him but definitely not a flashy young guy who seems like he's on his way to big-time success in college football. Um, My read on the situation, that he kind of looks like the type of guy that you bring in to steady a program um, just to, you know, serve as a stopgap for a couple years and then uh, bring in whoever you can based off of that. Maybe he can turn Colorado State into another consistent seven-game winner. Um consistently get them to a bowl game over the next few years and make it a little bit more of a desirable landing spot for whoever they bring in next. Um, doesn't seem like Colorado State fans are that excited. Uh, definitely seems like Buffs fans are excited, as I think they probably should be. Um, again, you don't really know what's going to happen until they get out there. Um, it could be that... Th- Colorado State at this point just needs to clean up the program a little bit. You know, stop stop at the mistakes, cut out the egos, go back to hard-nosed football. I think I think he was a former offensive line coach. He's very much of an in-the-trenches uh, type of football guy. Vic Fangio-like, if you're a Broncos fan, I think that there's some similarities there. Um, you know, it's not a hire that really scares uh, me from a Buffs perspective, um, again, they, they aren't playing all that much, but they will play next year at Colorado State in Adagio's first game, the first game of the season. And, uh, you know, this just doesn't feel like the type of hire that's going to bring the Rams to the next level. Like it's going to be the, the, the difference between them being little brother and competing at the same level as Colorado. Um, you know, there, there were some names... Uh, passed around, you know, Alfred. There, there were a few guys who it seemed like could wind up at Colorado State who really could rejuvenate that program, really could bring it back to what it was. Um, again, Alfred doesn't seem like a super high upside hire, which is what I anticipate Colorado State trying to make. You know, we all saw the pictures of what that new stadium looked like late in the season when they really couldn't get people to show up. You know, asked them all to move into the center, lower level, so it looked better for TV. And uh, lots of empty seats. Lots of empty seats uh, in the first season at the new stadium. Bringing in some some big-name young guy may have been able to fill a couple more of those. Um, doesn't, doesn't strike me as a great hire. Um, but again, it depends on what they're trying to do. And maybe the focus isn't on selling tickets. Maybe they aren't willing to take a risk at this point. Maybe they just want to stabilize, um, you know, go shoot, shoot for six, seven wins early on. See if you can just play good football and then bring in a star coach, a star recruiter, bring in some big time talent and, compete with the buffs next time they play a few years down the road. Um, you know, urban Meyer was involved in this process, which should give Rams a little bit more hope. Um, 
he, he was giving his recommendations. He was talking the athletic department and, and really the whole university. A lot of the university's staff was out there uh, involved in this process. Even the president was involved in trying to identify the new head coach along with the athletic director and along with Urban Meyer. So Urban Meyer's seal of approval definitely means something. There have been some a whole bunch of discussions in uh, the, the company Slack today ever since the hiring about what uh, what this means, whether it was a, the right decision, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, general consensus is he's a good football guy. Who knows if he's really the type of recruiter, um, whether his name will really have the draw, whether they'll struggle with the retention of current players. Um, if I'm a Buffs fan, though, I'm, I'm pretty excited about the way that this played out. Uh, I think that it sets up for Colorado to continue to be the big brother in the state for, you know, a few more years. And uh, after that, who knows? After that, maybe they do go after somebody. Or Again, you never know. Maybe maybe uh, he, he comes in and uh, really does change the face of things. Maybe he can take them to the next level. Um, you know, he's a Power 5 coach. Uh, he was on Florida staffs that won the national championship uh, a couple of times. And, you know, he, he does have some real big-time football experience. Um, after taking Boston College to 7-5 and five records most years, um, it doesn't seem like the type of guy who's just going to set the world on fire here. Um, it doesn't seem like a, the type of guy who really needed to gain that experience. Like, you know, we, we've been having a lot of discussions right now uh, about the Broncos as well as the Buffs within the company about how experience for coaches is undervalued, um, learning for coaches. Um, I think Ryan Konigsberg had a great bit on the podcast, the Broncos podcast a couple days ago, uh, where he was talking about how Rich Gangarello's the offensive coordinator of the Broncos, his his whole identity may have changed um, just totally based on these last couple of games because he is such a new play caller. You know, he was calling the games conservatively and they lost a game because of that. Um, took the foot off the gas. All of a sudden it became competitive and uh, it really shouldn't have. And that happened against the Chargers. It also happened to the Vikings. And then last week against the Texans, um, he just put his foot on the gas all the way through and they just blew the Texans away. Um, they, they didn't give him a chance to come back late. They didn't get conservative. They kept throwing the ball downfield and immediately that right there could totally change Rich Gangarello's complexion as a play caller for the rest of his life. Um, just because he realized that that's what works and maybe you get burned once or twice because of it, but more often than not, that's the best move. And it, it really is a learning process, uh, and and that is often forgotten. Um, and Ryan's point was a lot of people say, well, Rich Gangarello, he's just conservative in those situations. And it's like, yeah, that could be true, but again, this is his first job, and there's a good chance that he just learned that lesson, and now he's totally flipped the other direction. And that's part of the process for coaches, uh, play callers, players and we we see it more with players and we're more accepting of it with players than we are with coaches um i thought that was a good point and definitely applies to the buffs uh with jay johnson down the stretch i, th I think we all saw some growth as a play caller from him 
Uh, Tyson Summers with that defense really got clicking late. And again, learning experiences, improving as coaches, especially these young guys. But, uh, you know, for for a guy like Steve Adagio, it, it doesn't feel like that was the situation where all of a sudden, late at Boston College, something just clicked. And he now will be a better coach and that he's still growing as a coach. It kind of feels like he, he is what he is. And again, that means you have somebody stable. You aren't really worried about a big flame out. Um, you know, having Urban Meyer's recommendation definitely helps. Um, Colorado State really went through all the stops to do the best that they could. And, you know, there were some leaks coming out. And they didn't always seem to be totally on the same page. I'm not saying that this whole process ran perfectly smoothly for them, but having the input that they had at the table should mean that they they did everything they could, and that counts for something. Um, that they put this effort in, had Urban Meyer at the table, and came to the conclusion that this was the right move. Um, you know... It would have been a lot of fun to see a young guy come in, um, somebody who's on his way to being a big-time guy in Power 5 football. That's not what happened. Um, You know, there was some risk there. They could just totally tank the program, and maybe that was a conscious decision not to pick up a guy like that yet. Maybe they wanted somebody they could just trust to continue to build a little bit of a foundation just to go 500, try to go above 500. I mean, try to win it all, and you never know. That could still happen. They could win a Mountain West title um, with Adagio at coach. Just doesn't feel like that's the move that you'd make if your idea is we want to win a title as soon as possible. That's when you take a risk on somebody. Um, If you're a Buffs fan, like I've said, you're, you're feeling pretty good about this. Um... We'll see, though. It's all got to play out. Um, I'm kind of excited to hear how the narrative changes over the next little while as we slowly kind of get to know him. Um, Again, RK just sent, just watch a vid, and I guarantee fans will be on board with him tomorrow. Um, He does have a little bit of that fire. At 3 o'clock tomorrow on Thursday, they are having his introductory press conference, he'll finally get to introduce himself to the fans, make his statements, and who knows? Things things change quickly. Um, as people dig into his background, maybe there's more to like as they dig into what he does football-wise more closely. There may be more to like. I mean, you know, you look at what the Broncos did. Brought in Vic Fangio instead of going after one of the young offensive coordinators that have been really hot in the NFL coaching market. Um, and they're starting to put together. You could see how it worked. Their, their physical football team, you know, it, it hasn't gone all wrong. Um, again, it does make you think about a year ago. It was like a year ago this week, maybe, this weekend, that Mel Tucker was announced as the next head coach of the Buffs. Boy, does that feel like a good hire now. Um, definitely feels better having seen how Colorado State had to go through this process. Um, you know, I, I think that this 
just goes to show that things went well with that Mel Tucker hire, a guy who is on that path to big time college success, who also has that pedigree coming from championship teams, um, isn't super young, but is still an up and comer in terms of coaching. Um, just seems like the perfect mix of everything. Um, experience, potential, um, Whereas Adagio seems like a guy where if all goes well, maybe maybe they do compete for Mountain West titles. And then, I mean, he's already 60. Who knows how long he'd really be interested in continuing to coach. Um, there isn't a lot of long-term upside there. You know, um, it is what it is. And we'll hear more stories over the next few days. Was was he really his, the, the first choice? And... Uh, all that kind of stuff. But as of right now, it's, it's definitely not a flashy hire. Um, it sets up well for Colorado to maintain its place as kind of the big brother in the state. You know, Air Force, though, that's that's really the competition there. Um, I don't know. We don't have to dig into that right now. But uh, I don't know. I, I really did think that they'd go after somebody a little bit flashier. You know, somebody who comes from some big time offensive system and could install some new flashy thing and sell some tickets and get people hyped and really hit home on the recruiting trail as we've seen Mel Tucker do. I mean, everybody sold on Mel Tucker being the next big thing. And because of that, they're, they're pulling in recruits that they haven't been able to pull in over the last few years. This Adagio hire doesn't seem like one that's going to do that at least until he, at least until he proves on the field that that he's going to win. There isn't just this hype that comes with it that's going to make things easier. He he's going to have to work harder to prove himself than other coaches would. And uh you know, if if this is the move, maybe you don't pay Bobo's pay uh, uh buyout. You you let him sit another year and maybe uh Maybe then you don't. I mean, whenever there's tur- or whenever there's a new coach, there's going to be roster turnover. You're going to lose players. Maybe the combination of not paying that buyout, keeping a couple more players on the roster, um, and then going straight from Bobo to whoever the flashy hire is, would have been a better path. Um, who's to say? And who's to say that wasn't their plan all along? And whoever they really wanted got poached. Uh, you know that's. We don't have all the information yet. Um, we can probably stop talking about the Rams now, but I do think that it is kind of an important storyline to Colorado, college football in Colorado, and uh, should make you feel good that Colorado was able to land Mel Tucker. Um, before we move on to talk about basketball, I do want to talk about Breckenridge Brewery because they're awesome and their beer's great. And, uh, you know, I think I might be headed out to an Avs game tonight, and if that's the case, I'm definitely going to have to stop by the Breckenridge Brewery bar type thing that they have at Pepsi Center inside the building on, like, the south side of the of Pepsi Center. You can just, like, go in there, get a beer before the game, after the game, like, when you're waiting for an Uber. It's right next to the Uber pickup. It's a cool spot. Really like it. They have, like, these log walls um, it makes it feel like cozy, not like you're in an arena. Um, great place to drink a Christmas ale. And, uh, I don't know. Uh, 
Also want to mention their Avalanche, kind of their flagship beer, the one that really took off. Um, definitely need to check that out. It's like a light beer, but it's just so much better than the super cheap light beers that you can find around, and it really isn't that much more expensive. Um, if you want to try their beer, first of all, you could head over to the Breckenridge Brewery. I don't even know what to call it. Um, I should probably figure that out before I plug it. Um, that is in the Pepsi Center. There's like an entrance from the outside. There's an entrance from the inside of the Pepsi Center. And uh, you can go there or you can go to the Breckenridge Brewery Beer Locator on their website. And it will tell you wherever you can get whatever beer you want to try. Um, I'm going through an avalanche phase. I will say that. Uh, Support them because they support us. Uh, It's really good beer. It's not expensive. Just do it. Um, I also want to tell you about um gold boys and gold boys is one of our newest partners and i still haven't had a chance to check them out but i have heard about how much everybody at dnvr really loves their products um i think i've told you before about ryan's thing with the chapstick it's like cbd infused chapstick and i guess he says it works better than any other chapstick i i don't know i I, I, I think I've mentioned this before, but my lips generally don't get chapped and I really don't need chapstick. But whenever I get it, I feel like if I stop using it, all of a sudden my lips are just destroyed. Um, like they just get used to it. And then, and so that's what really scares me away. Uh, this chapstick doesn't do that. Um, definitely check it out. Ryan swears by it. He says that his lips have never felt better. He doesn't leave the house without it. Um, if you try one thing, I I would make that my recommendation just because I trust Ryan. Um, they have plenty of other things too. They have their own clothing line. Um, they have cookies. They have Supreme. Um, they have uh, all sorts of CBD products. Like I said, they have the chapstick. They have um, muscle rub. They'll ship it to you if you order online. You can also go inside and they have like murals and quotes and all that stuff. And it's a really cool place to go. Um just to like look around. Um, it's one of a kind. You should definitely check it out. Um, and like I said, if you can't make it to the shop, you can go to goldboys303.com or you can just check it out for yourself. If you're buying in bulk, they'll give you a discount. Give them a call at 720-372-9843. They'll take care of you. Um, definitely recommend them based on the recommendations that I've heard. And I'm going to check out a couple of their products here soon too. Um, okay. Couple more thoughts on Katie Nixon before we uh, move on from that storyline, and we spent a whole segment on it yesterday. I'm not sure if we're going to spend a whole another segment on it today, but um, yesterday we kind of talked about Katie's fit in the NFL. Um, he isn't worried about it. I didn't make it up to Boulder in time for the press conference, but I did go back and watch. Obviously, um, this podcast ran a little bit late, and it was my phone said it was going to be like a 45 minute drive. So I threw an extra like 15 minutes on there to account for like traffic being worse or like parking. Um, I don't know. Turns out that was not nearly enough. The traffic was awful. Getting from like that last little stretch when you like get to campus and then get all the way back in that corner and get parked, even that long before the game is just crazy hard. I spent like 15 minutes on campus before my car was even parked. Uh, now I know. Now I know. Um, it was a pretty short media availability. 
um, basically said that he's betting on himself, uh, that, that he trusts himself. He thinks he's talented enough to go to the NFL and teams are going to see that and he's going to find a spot. Um, that kind of sums that part up. There wasn't too much enlightening information. Um, he's excited, uh, as you'd expect. Um, but like I said, we talked a lot about what it means for KD, how he's going to fit. I still think that there's a, a real chance he carves out a niche in the NFL. It's just getting eyes on the tape um, and and hoping somebody's willing to bet on you with a draft pick. Um, there, there are just so many receivers. I think that there are going to be like 100, 200 guys who are competing for maybe... 30 to 40 spots um whether that's on active rosters where that's on practice squads where there typically are at least a few receivers per team maybe even not that many i'd say 30 is probably a good number um maybe a little more um it's tough to project who's gonna stick who doesn't katie's fast we'll see whether he's like fast in the nfl or just fast um good hands he's made some big time plays he's flashed on tape before a lot of guys have uh we'll see if he sticks um more than that i I want to talk more about how this will impact colorado's offense and uh i wrote a whole story about this hopefully you guys can check that out um kind of broke down i think i think like five receivers who i think will most likely be a big part of the rotation outside for colorado next year um but then also a couple of other guys who could be outsiders um i don't know i had fun writing it like 1300 words on what the receiver position looks like in 2020 um not to spoil the whole thing i do want to kind of talk through some of the key points on this podcast and uh those are um this and that's that uh Colorado has a lot of talent at receiver and they've had a lot of talent receiver for what 10 years it feels like they've just had guys who should be on the field but haven't been able to see the field because they just don't have enough reps to go around enough snaps to go around um it's exciting I think that pretty much every one of these guys I'm excited to see on the field I remember I, th- I think it was in the Arizona game. Um, receiver got hurt. Uh, they were going through that normal receiver rotation. And because whoever it was, it might have been Visca who got just like a little bit banged up, um, was on the sideline. They had to go one deeper in the rotation. And that meant that Vontae Chenault had a chance to take an offensive snap. And it was really exciting seeing him run out there. Um, he lined up in the wrong spot. They had to call a timeout they pulled him off the field and I don't know. I think we might've seen him. I can't remember which game. I think we did see him take an offensive snap, but the excitement that I felt seeing him out on the field with a chance to actually make a play was, it was so much fun. Um, and, and I think that there are a bunch of guys like that this year who will actually see the field. Um, Obviously, I want to see what Vontae Chenault can do. Uh, Maurice Bell and, and Daniel Arias, both of them really tore up the spring. Both were getting a whole bunch of hype as guys who could be contributors this year, could be in the rotation this year. But we didn't really get to see him. 
Um, Jalen Jackson, so fast. Uh, seems like he could be a lot of fun. He, he had that 57-yard catch against Nebraska um, on the flea flicker where he just kind of got a little bit loose deep and you kind of flashed that potential. Didn't get to see too much of him either. Um, the point I'm trying to make here is that there are so many guys who will be a lot of fun to watch out on the field next year. Um, who knows how it's going to go, but even if it goes poorly, it will be exciting to see those guys get minutes. Um, that said, there will be a learning curve. Um I think a lot of people feel that the receivers are just going to be just as good next year as they are this year because they have so much talent, but not having any experience is really going to hurt. Um, losing Tony Brown, losing LaVisca Chenault, losing Katie Nixon, that's 75% of their catches, um, in ter- wide receivers' catches, not factoring in tight ends and running backs. 75% of the receivers' catches last year, 80% of the touchdowns, and over 80% of the receiving yards. That's a whole lot of production to replace, and almost all of the other production was Dimitri Stanley, who is going to have a a huge role. He's going to have to be, I mean, maybe not the number one receiver, because I'm not sure he fits that well there. He's still probably working out of the slot, primarily, but really their number one option, um, just because he is experienced, and he's played in Pac-12 football games before. Um... Outside of that, I like Daniel Arias had a few catches, six catches, something like that. Um, Maurice Bell had a couple. Um, Jalen Jackson had a couple. Um, I'm not sure that anybody else. I mean, I, I nobody had double digit catches this year outside of Dimitri Stanley, who will be back in 2020. And you're really projecting all of their abilities at this point, and I know I have been probably expecting just a little bit too much out of all of them, given that they don't have too much experience. You know, Daniel Arias, we're still just kind of waiting for his whole game to come together. I'm waiting for him to be a complete receiver. Uh, I was looking through the stats yesterday, and he set the school record for forced fair catches as a gunner. Um, I I think last year as a freshman, um, you know, they have that kind of talent. Jalen Jackson made that massive play on special teams against Utah, forcing the fumble that the Buffs weren't able to recover. Um, they have a lot of guys who have a whole bunch of talent, uh, and uh, for some reason they haven't been able to see the rotation. For Daniel Arias, uh, six foot four, two hundred five pounds, he had like the highlight reel touchdown this year. He also had the drop touchdown against Nebraska. I think it was Nebraska. Um, you know those. Those hurt, um, and there's no guarantee that that type of play is just going to disappear from all of their games next year. Um, you hope that one more year of progressing, of working out, of learning the playbook, of doing whatever they need to do to become better receivers happens, but there's really no guarantee that they will be ready to be receivers worthy of a spot in the rotation because they weren't this year. Um they weren't worthy of too many snaps this year. And and the bar was set really high to to get many reps with KD and Visca and Dimitri Stanley and Tony Brown. But if if we're saying that this group can replicate the production of that group, 
you need them to be playing at a level that's comparable to what they did this year. And this year, they weren't in the rotation. The coaching staff didn't think that they had that. Curtis Shiverini, another guy who really could get some snaps um, as like a bigger slot option. Um, I don't know. I, I do think that there's going to be a whole bunch of exciting moments, a whole bunch of explosive plays. All of these guys are really fast. Um, you also have Brendan Rice. You also have uh, Braden Huffman-Dixon, a highly rated recruit, somebody who should factor in. Is he ready to go as a redshirt freshman? Um, is Vontae Chenault ready to go as a redshirt freshman? I don't know. I think what's working in their favor is that a lot of these receivers are going to be making mistakes. I don't think you have a whole bunch of guys who you trust to be consistently um, very good receivers to be, you know, Pac-12 caliber receivers. Um, All of them are going to make mistakes. There are a lot of young players. I I mean, I guess like Daniel Arias, uh, this Maurice Bell, uh, Daniel Arias will be a junior, so he'll have been in the program a while, but again, he doesn't have all that much experience as a receiver. Um, Transition could go smoothly. It could not. And that's true of pretty much all of these guys. They're going to be asking to step up and take roles. Ideally, you have, what, five guys in rotation. Um, That way, if one gets hurt, you still have four to rotate through three spots. Um, You have more than five who could be ready for that kind of role in an offense. Um, Dimitri Stanley's the lock. You have Daniel Arias, who projects as really that number one threat, taking LaVisca Chenault's role. Um, Jalen Jackson, I hope. Uh, Maurice Bell, I think, could be a breakout candidate. Um, Who else? Uh, Like I said, Curtis Cheverini, I I think, factors in. He he should be a junior as well. Um, Then you have Vontae Chenault. You have Braden Huffman-Dixon. Who knows? Maybe the freshman, Brendan Rice, uh, Chris Carpenter, Keith Miller the third. I mean, what is that? That's like nine options. Plus, there are, there are more guys who could come out, but those are kind of my favorites for the rotation at this point with the freshman being less likely. You need half of them to take big enough steps forward to be ready for that role. Um, I think it's more likely than not that it happens, but this thought that the Buffs are just going to be good at receiver again is that that's not a lock. That's not a lock. Um, they, they will be fun. There will be big plays because this is a group that can generate big plays. Um, but there's also potential for quite a few drops, um, poorly run routes, um, a lack of an ability to get separation, maybe just running the wrong routes on occasion because they aren't experienced. They might not know the playbook. They might not know the calls all that well. We'll see. Um, I would temper expectations, though. I think that having another stable piece coming back in Katie Nixon would have been pretty big time for for this group. Um, even if he doesn't doesn't become like your your star receiver, even if he's only a little bit better than your other options, just having somebody with some stability, somebody who's been there, somebody who can serve as a leader in that room. Um, I think could have been important, especially if you're throwing Brendan Lewis, a true freshman back there, quarterback. Building that chemistry might be tough, um, especially without an experienced group of receivers. You know, you throw Brendan Lewis out there with LaVisca Chenault, Katie Nixon, and Tony Brown, 
you feel pretty good about that. They're going to help him. They're going to get open. They aren't going to make mistakes. You don't know that. You don't know that for sure with this young group of receivers. Um, I think it's going to be, like I said, a lot of fun, though, at the very least. And there is definitely the potential for this to be a very strong group, a group that can replicate the production of the 2019 group. Um, Again, though, you got to see it on the field. And it, it might be tough for the coaching staff to really evaluate who's ready to go out there as well. You know, they, they get practice, they get the spring game, all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, until you see them in a game, you don't really know. Um, you know, talking to Chris Kapilovic about that with the offensive line, he said that that's why early in the season they had to reevaluate so much who the five are, where to put them, um, trying other guys mid-game at various positions just to see how they respond to an actual game-time situation. Um, I think that early in the season that could be the case with these young receivers. Um, we'll see, though. Maybe maybe they pick it up right away. And I think, and I, I mentioned this in the story, but but the the best part of this whole thing is that they're all going to be back in 2021, assuming none declare early for the draft or whatever else happens. This this first few games of 2020, if they can get past all the speed bumps right there, then all of a sudden you're set for the next, what, 9 plus 12, 21 games plus bowl games, and then maybe if Brendan Rice or Keith Miller, Chris Carpenter, the recruits aren't good enough right off the bat, then in 2021, they could prove themselves and you just become better and deeper. It's a good situation. It's definitely a good situation. Um, we just don't know how long that adjustment period is going to be. Um, before we jump into basketball, and I have a lot of thoughts on that game last night, uh, I want to tell you about um, our friends over at Strava Craft Coffee. It seems like it's been a while since I told you about Strava Craft Coffee. Um, what I'm most excited to tell you about is that this coffee is just game changing. Uh, it's CBD enriched coffee. It changes lives. The recruits are, reviews are incredible. Definitely check them out. Um, it, it's taken away long-term migraines, taken away back pain. It's taken away arthritis, IBS. Uh, it decreases some, you know, mental, um, health issues like anxiety, depression, um, you name it, it's probably helped somebody fix it. It's all natural. It's not psychoactive. It's rich and it's tasty. We could not recommend it more to our listeners. Um, if you check it out for yourself today, you can use the code DNVR20 at checkout and they'll ship it straight to your door and give you 20% off. So it's basically the same price as normal coffee, even cheaper than normal coffee, probably with a discount. And you can... Uh, just drink it without having to go to the store to get it. So even if you like your coffee, whatever, why not give it a try? See if it helps with some other aspect of your life than being able to wake up. Uh, the code is DNVR20. Gets you 20% off. They ship it to you. Um, I think that's it. Um, moving along now to this Buffs basketball game. It was a tough one. It was really... A tough one. Um, not a game that the team should lose, but they lost it. There's there's really a lot going on here. Um, let's start with the basics. 
uh, it was in Boulder, 79-76. I was up there for the game. Um, not a great crowd. It was actually a pretty disappointing crowd. I'm not sure what else they were doing. Um, student section was pretty light. The rest of the crowd was pretty light. Um, Katie and Visco were there, as they typically are. Um, Bill Walton was there calling the game. But uh, disappointing crowd. I think, I mean, there were some high energy moments. Pretty much anytime Evan Batty does anything cool, everybody loves it. Um, lots of support for Lucas Seward. Um, but that's kind of setting the stage for what happened. Uh, Colorado came out and, uh, you know, it wasn't necessarily a hot start. They, they went down 9-3 but came back on the back of Lucas Seward who he scored 15 straight points. He took him from three points to 15 points, uh, from being down 13-9 to being up um, 18-14. Um, didn't miss a shot in that span. Took a couple technical free throws. Uh, I think he was four for four from the field, three for three from three in that stretch. Um, he had a career night, uh, set a new scoring high, uh, with 21 points on 7-11 from the field, 5 of 7 from 3, played good defense. Uh, a lot of his rebounding came early, though he did have some late ones. Um, he looked great. I think the Buffs needed somebody to step up um, in that moment when it was kind of obvious that there was a hangover coming from that Kansas loss, and he was the guy who filled that role. Um McKinley Wright, second leading scorer, 16 points on 5 of 10 shooting, 2 of 3 from 3. I think that he definitely turned a corner with his game on uh, Tuesday. I think that he had, I don't know, you know, I was talking to somebody last night who said that it was a lack of confidence early on in the season and that's what was kind of holding him back. I'm not really sure what it was. I could see that. It kind of just looked like, I don't know, uh, he... He, he just wasn't driving to the basket for some reason. And he got back to that going downhill. Um, and it looked pretty good. Uh, the downside there was that he had five turnovers. Too many. Um, 15 for the entire team. Too many. Uh, we'll dig into that more. Um, actually, let's just get into that now. Uh, so late in the game, it's 76-76. And... Colorado is taking the ball up the court, a minute left. Um, McKinley Wright is trying to run a set play, gets double teamed, throws the ball. It's uh, it's intercepted, taken down the court for a fast break layup. Buffs come back about 50 seconds on the clock, 45 seconds on the clock, something like that. And uh, no, I think it was closer to 50. They have a chance for the two for one. They get a bucket or a shot up in the first 10 seconds. They're guaranteeing themselves another chance to uh, score, and again, they're down two. So worst case scenario, you miss. You have a chance to play defense and get another possession to tie the game or take the lead. Um, Or if you give up a basket, then you have a chance to go score quickly, foul, play that game. Um, They didn't go for the two-for-one, ran the clock down about as far as they could, took a shot with uh, 28 seconds left maybe. Deshaun Schwartz layup that was blocked. not a good possession. Uh, then they're forced to foul. They don't even have a chance to get a stop to get the ball back. Um, luckily, Northern Iowa goes one of two from the line, and uh, that meant that uh, 
Colorado had the ball back with like 11 seconds, I believe. Down three, a chance to tie it. Um, McKinley kind of dribbles a little bit longer than I would have liked. Ends up just throwing it out to Shane Gatling, who's standing a few steps behind the three-point line. Has to throw one up. Um, Not all that close to going in. Um, There's a scramble. Goes out of bounds. Buffs ball. Catch another break with two seconds left. And uh, they throw it into Seward, who is hot, five of seven from or five of six from three at that point, and uh, he he misses. Um, wasn't a great look, but uh, that's kind of how things unfolded. It was the turnover that kind of sparked that whole string of events. Not getting that two for one, not even getting a good look on the one shot you were trying to take. It was ugly, and that was really the message after the game from Tad Boyle who just kind of said exactly that. It was ugly. That's not a good performance. He'd been saying all week that it was the biggest trap game of the season. He used the word trap game, and uh, it caught up to the buffs. You know, it's it's the same issues that they've had, particularly on offense, throughout the season to this point. And uh, in the last two games, uh, Tuesday night against Northern Iowa, and then also on Saturday against Kansas, they weren't able to overcome them. Uh, the mistakes kind of doomed that team and we're starting to see the tides change here. They, they started the season 7-0 and despite the problems, despite the turnovers, but against good teams, and this was Tad Boyle's message, you don't get away with stuff like that. Um, he, he pointed out a bunch of different things. Um, he said that the two main points going into the game were that you can't let Northern Iowa shoot threes, any open threes, and uh, you can't allow them to get second chance opportunities. So when they went out there and played, they gave up a lot of open threes. Um, they, what was the final number? They 14 of 26 Northern Iowa from three, 53.8% from three. That's, too much um their best shooter probably um the guy that tad boyle singled out is the one who they could not let get those looks that was trey barrow and he uh he got a couple early looks tad boyle said no more you have to cut him off you're not letting him catch the ball at the three-point line anymore and uh he kept catching the ball at the three-point line uh ended up going five of six from three that really hurt uh, six of eight from the field. Um, that they couldn't make that in-game adjustment on the court, even though Tad Boyle called for it. Um, there are a whole bunch of those situations. They they built up a lead before halftime. Tad wanted them to uh, to to build on that momentum gain at halftime. That was his message at the under four timeout, and they couldn't do that. Ended up giving the lead back to UNI. Then gave up a nine-point run to start the third quarter. It was just ugly, and I actually wrote a story about all the details that uh, they're they're missing. That Tad Boyle says they're missing, and and really the quote was, "They're just like basketball is a simple game, and we're making it hard." That was kind of the takeaway, and that's what we've seen on the offense when they're just overpassing. It it seems it's not even always that. There's just always something that's a problem, and you know it's it seems so simple. And maybe that was Tad's point, how this offense should work. And it's McKinley Wright putting his head down, getting to the basket, and either, you know, getting a shot up, getting to the basket, or drawing a double team. And uh, 
finding the open man and letting the offense work from there, work from that advantage of having somebody open, making the defense adjust, and they just haven't done that. They've, I don't know if they think that they need to pass to, to get things started instead of, you know, getting to the basket, forcing the defense to collapse, and then starting to work it around. It's, it's, it's just not quite there yet. Um, turnovers are obviously a problem. Again, they won the turnover matchup. The, the Buffs defense, despite giving up 79 points, wasn't all that bad. Um, there were a lot of good moments, obviously, with the, the, the steals. The 12 steals were a big part of that. Um, two each from Evan Batty, McKinley Wright, Eli Parquet, and Lucas Seward. But it was just that they fell asleep. And every time that they fell asleep, Northern Iowa took advantage. Every time the Panthers got an opportunity, they took advantage of that opportunity. Um, But when the buffs were clicking, when they were paying attention on defense, when they were in the zone, they looked great. They just fell asleep a little bit too much. And I think an, an interesting point that came from that was Tad Boyle after the game, when he was talking about this being a trap game and him saying... Like, guys, you got to get up for this one. It's a trap game. You know, the, the question was, is did, did they get up for it? And he said, you know what, they, they're going to have to answer that for themselves. Um, I don't know. And I thought that that was kind of interesting because a lot of the time coaches really want to say what happened with the team. Like, they are part of the team. They dictate. They know what's going on. You know, Mel Tucker would have said, no, we, we didn't fall asleep. Or, yes, we did, and we need to be better. Um a lot of those more controlling coaches, whereas Tad Boyle kind of put the onus on them and said, you know what, I can't say whether they felt like they gave all their effort, whether they gave all their attention to this game, whether they're looking ahead to Colorado State. That's something that they have to answer for because I am not them. Um, and I kind of like it. You know, it's it's more of a, it's kind of a very basketball move, more like players player empowerment type thing like here you go I'm giving you guys the freedom I need you guys to go out there and execute what I say we need to do and that's on you I can't do that for you um and and I I do like that I I I really do like that um very much a player's coach I would say Tad Boyle and again I'm still only a few weeks into the season getting to know him but but I do really like that aspect of it um we didn't get to ask the players because the players took the podium first, but uh, I did think that that was an important takeaway from that conversation. Uh, Tad was frustrated. Um, you know, he he did take some of the blame. He said, like, when when he saw that double team on McKinley, uh, the one that led to the turnover, that led to the layup, that led to the Buffs really losing that game, he said he should have called the timeout. Uh, McKinley said that he also should have called the timeout. Neither of them did, though, and it resulted in a turnover. Um you know, it's it's just a lack of execution. Uh, and and I asked, you know, you you've seen this lack of execution now for most of the season, but it's finally resulting in losses. You aren't getting away with it. How do you think that that creates a sense of urgency, and it might be easier to fix? And he said, you know, that's the question: is are we going to be able to turn this around? Um, he said that he thought that the best option was to do what he thinks is best in these situations when you need to get the offense clicking, when um, there are mistakes, is just to watch film, to see what it what looks wrong, what looks right, and build off of that. 
And that's kind of the move going forward is how, how can they learn from this and maybe get it fixed? Um, still pretty frustrating to watch this team. Um, offensively, they looked better. Again, still too many turnovers. And that is kind of the number one thing and will be the number one thing for quite a while, or at least until they get fixed. It, it just seems like at this point, that might be part of the identity of this team um, because it has been nine games now and they haven't been able to fix it. The shooting was a lot better. You know, I, I said yesterday I wanted to see them get hot from three and they got hot from three. They were 10 of 20. A lot of that's Lucas Seawork going five of seven, but McKinley Wright was two of three. He hit a huge dagger three. Um, they're building some momentum. I mean, not necessarily a dagger. That's more of a late game term, but a, a, a three that really marked the turning momentum, forced a timeout. It was a pull-up transition three, knocked it down, you know, hyped up the crowd, went all the way back to the student section. Um, it was a huge moment. And that's where you need to see McKinley Wright step up, and he he did that. Uh, Tyler Bay didn't attempt a three. Always interesting to see whether he's taking threes or not taking threes. Uh, Deshaun Schwartz, one of two. Eli Parquet, one of two. Shane Gatling, one of three. Maddox Daniels, 0 of two. Um, it's about time for him to start picking it up a little bit again. Um, he's supposed to be the best shooter on the team. That's the big reason why he's out on the court. I still like his game. Everybody goes through cold stretches. A lot of the team is starting to heat up, or at least heated up last night. Hopefully he can join them. Um, from the field, they shot 47.2%. From the free throw line, 88.9%. They were 16 of 18. Uh, got out rebounded. That was the other point that uh, Tab Boyle was making with the team before the game. That was the other point of emphasis. That that's something Northern Iowa can do. But uh, the Buffs gave up a team high in second chance points. And again, when when that's your key to the game, when you're focusing on closing out on three-point shooters and boxing out in the paint, to not do either of those things is going to make it really tough to win the game. That's what the whole game plan's built around, and they couldn't execute it for whatever reason. Um, hopefully, this is just the turning point. You know, as, as somebody who watches the Nuggets a lot, you kind of see similar things. What 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 they do, what Mike Malone does, is he kind of sets the rotation, sets you know what the key points are for the team, and they run with it until they start losing, um, until they're actually negative results. And so they'll pull out some ugly wins, but they'll continue to run with it because, you know what, a win's a win. They deserve a chance. This rotation deserves a chance to prove that they're good enough, that... that you know, they, they can look good, that the mistakes aren't going to cause them problems. But then as soon as they start to lose games, as soon as they usually just lose one game, then that's when the changes come. That's when you start to say, okay, this lineup isn't working. We're going to have to change this lineup. You know, these points of emphasis aren't working. That's where we need to change those. Um, this could be a similar turning point for Colorado where we do see Tad Boyle shake up the lineups a little bit more. You know, he already switched um, the two guards starting Parquet. Um, maybe he tries somebody else there. Maybe maybe it's Shane Gatling back in the starting lineup. Um, I think we could see some, some pieces switch. I think we could see how the offenses run switch. Again, the defense, I mean, you can't give up 79 points. They were falling asleep. But also... Northern Iowa did not blow one open opportunity. Um, they 
they just executed. They just executed. And Colorado gave up a few too many of those. Um, if, if Northern Iowa has a more standard shooting night, Colorado still probably pulls out the win here. But they were hot, and they took advantage of their opportunities, and that's what good basketball teams do. Um, they shot 14 of 26 from three, by the way, about 54% from the three-point line. That's a good shooting night, but a lot of the shots they made were open looks. Typically, you don't make as many as they did, though. Um, I think that that's most of the points that I wanted to make. Um, I think the overwhelming takeaway here is that they kind of rode their luck as long as they can. They're obviously talented. Um, they're obviously worthy of being a top 25 team in the country based on the talent, but uh, they, they've got to do more with it. Now that they've lost a couple of games because of maybe a lack of attention to detail, things can change. That urgency will be there. Um, if not, then things are going to get kind of ugly. Um, they, they play Colorado State Friday night in Fort Collins. That's going to be a pretty big game. Um, should be a game, again, that Colorado wins. But, you know, rivalry games on the road, a whole bunch of those factors, as well as uh, they aren't playing their best basketball right now. You know, th- that could make it close. <sighs> it's frustrating because you know how good this team can be and how good this team probably will be. Um, just taking a little bit longer to get clicking than you'd like. Okay, um, I think that's going to do it for today. If you have comments or questions, leave them in the comment section of the post for this podcast at thednvr.com. Um, and I will get to them on Friday. Tomorrow, Thursday, is the Draft Podcast with Andre Simone, and that'll be a lot of fun, uh, talking about college football playoff, college prospects. I think we're going to talk a little bit about Katie Nixon, where he projects in the draft. It'll be interesting to hear Dre's take as somebody who you know, isn't a Buffs beat guy, somebody who has more of a national perspective, even though he is obviously based in Denver. Um but he follows college football more nationally than he does locally. And uh, I don't know. Interesting to hear how he thinks Katie Nixon will stack up in this draft class, as well as talking about all the other storylines of college football. Hopefully you guys will tune in then. Um, and if not, I'll see you Friday. Hopefully you guys will have some questions, some thoughts on basketball, football, women's basketball. 8-0, by the way. Um, one more home game before they start conference play. Uh, they're playing DU Thursday night. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it up there. Uh, if not, I'll be up there for most of the Pac-12 games. Um, you know what? They they haven't played the most challenging schedule, but they've they're like not. not let's not get ahead of ourselves. They're eight zero now with a very winnable game tomorrow night at seven against the University of Denver. Um, Pac-12 play is going to be a challenge as it always is. Pac-12 women's basketball is probably the best conference. I think it has to be the best conference. Um, I don't even know if you could make an argument. Um, That's going to be a lot of fun. This is kind of an underdog team picked last in the Pac-12. You never know, though. That's why you go play the games. Uh, Fun to follow along so far. And, uh, you know, women's soccer doesn't quite have the same draw, or women's basketball doesn't quite have the same draw that football or men's basketball does and so that's why we don't focus on them so much on the podcast but similar to the women's soccer team if they get hot and start making some noise uh, that's kind of the storyline that we're gonna have to jump into a little bit more here and 
you know, beat Xavier in the last game, 62-53. Beat uh, Texas Southern, 74-50 before that. Um, beat Illinois. Let's see. No, it would be Indiana State, fifty-nine forty-six. You know they, they've they've been winning by pretty wide margins as well. I guess a couple of close games, four points against Colorado State. Really, that's the only close one. A um, lot of fun. We're going to start jumping into that here pretty soon. Um, oh, actually, no, they do have another home game versus UAB. I didn't realize. Um, I don't know. We'll get into those details later on. Uh, I'm going to leave now. I rambled at the end of this podcast again. Uh, I'll be back Friday for this podcast. Hopefully you guys tune in tomorrow for the draft podcast. Leave your questions. Become a member. Read what I had to say about basketball and Katie. Okay, bye. I think they like my Colorado swag. when I'm in it play. I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it go, you know I'm acting bad. My Colorado swag, 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 my Col
Colorado swag. Man, I swear I think they like my Colorado swag.